This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Does it feel like our morals are lacking on a variety of fronts these days? Do you think that respect for other people and their ideas just isn't as important to some people than, say, 20 to 30 years ago? If the answer to those questions is yes, then you may have really hit on the theme behind the book Behaving Badly by longtime media executive Eden Collinsworth. It isn't that prior generations were perfect and did not bend or break the rules. It's just that it feels like there is a tipping point and maybe we have gone past it. And we welcome Eden to the show right now. Ms. Collinsworth, great to have you with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, since we are a business show, I will start there and, and, and ask you, in your opinion, how much of an impact is business having on this kind of change in morality right now? Uh, well, it's, that's an interesting place to start because um, certainly uh, it used to be in my father's generation that um, there were a different set of moral expectations. And so he well, was a successful business person who believed still that his handshake was his bond. And that was also a cultural and societal expectation uh, and it would be very unworldly and naive today to think that that, um, that holds true. And so um, that parallels the kind of general shift in terms of what is expected um, in terms of, um, you know, what I would consider to be ethical business practices. Um, now it's really swung to an extreme where, um, frankly, with the compliance issues, often has been the case where uh, companies have figured in the cost of the fee right. um, in, in their P&L. And, and so their, their decision of whether or not to, um, to, to act ethically or morally is um, a business decision that's driven by financials, not, not anything that has to do with uh, an ethical um, decision-making process. So things have changed um, very dr- dramatically. And the question becomes, you know, um, when do you hold somebody accountable? Well, and that seemingly is a big question that is asked more and more. We ask it on this show. I think a lot of people do is that we see instances and, and keeping it on the company theme for a second. I'll take it to the, the personal perspective in a second. We see more and more companies doing things that they shouldn't do. And seemingly, company will have to pay a big fine, but that's really the end of it. And the company pays the fine, and really Mm -hmm. the person themselves, who was probably at the lead of this and and Mm -hmm. understanding what the impact was, Wells Fargo being one case, you know, specifically, uh, that, that, that those people are not held accountable very much. No, they're not. And, um, I, I, this is my personal belief, but I think that there should be jail sentences, um, right. yep. which I, I think, frankly, would a- act more persuasively to, you know, to convince somebody to, yep. <laughs> in terms of what they do and don't do. But it's, um, you know, when you think of the, the literally the billions of dollars that have been levied in fines, and you then um, take a look at the number of people who have gone to jail, it's really very disheartening. I think more people should be sent to jail for, for the decisions they make in that regard. So then when you look more grand scale, opening this up and, you know, our society here in the U.S. and and this may be the case in other entities as well uh, around the world. What is it that that has changed 
significantly. So we are, you know, we're going down more at times the bad road than necessarily the good road. Well, you know, I think that it might be helpful just to define the word morality and ethics, because yep. quite often they're, they're um, uh, thought to be one and the same. Morality is, is a personal set of beliefs, and um, you could say that it's the, it's the core of who we are as individuals. And ethics is expressed in, uh, in terms of the expectations and, and the sanctions that are defined and enforced by a certain culture and society. And I think what's completely confounding today is that the world has never been so interconnected. But what we forget is that the ethical positions or decisions um, or expectations occur within a given period of time in a certain cultural silo. So that is why, um, you know, many of us can be completely... um, you know, are, are completely disconcerted by what we think is so obviously right and wrong when other people don't believe that. And um, quite honestly, this the, the book that I've written was the result of living in China for a period of time mm-hmm. and realizing that, um, you know, this is a vast um, nation. It's one in every five people in the world, if you look at the population of mainland China, and they are simply operating with a different set of moral values. They, they don't see uh, their perspective is not one from a Judeo-Christian sense of, of right and wrong. They're far more philosophical, um, and um, they don't believe that there is any one way of being uh, right, and there are very few ways of being wrong. And so uh, something as fundamental as um, what you expect from a business contract becomes extremely vague and amorphous even after you signed it, because there is a belief that it's the continuation of a dialogue and not the culmination of one. Um, And so this led me to begin to contemplate whether my own values were at all germane or or applicable any longer in America as an American. And so I I started to, um, you know, explore that question with a variety of other people um, in terms of their, the the moral choices they've made. Some of them have upheld um, the moral status quo. Others have been um, defiant. And I think a great deal has to do with the uh, generational shift. Um, so I was brought up with a certain set of moral uh, standards and values by parents who believed that it was almost a rule book. Um, right. My son, who's in his late twenties, um, is the is the result of a, a generation that his whose ethics have been shaped largely by the technological advances that yep. have occurred, you know, in his lifetime. And so there are a lot of external factors. But, yes, things are, are really very different and far more morally flexible. Well, and, and I guess part of it is also mindset, because when you think about uh, the, the people that grew up in the 60s uh, and, and were the activists of the 60s, whether they be teenagers, early 20s at that point, their mindset is obviously quite a bit different than than what the baby boomer generation was. Uh, and obviously their mindset is quite a bit different than what we see now from millennials and Gen X. My, yeah. Mindset, you know, apart from one thing is important to note, but morals, I would think, would be something that you would expect to carry on through the generations, correct? 
Well, you know, that's an interesting question. And I, I don't think after spending a year exploring uh, this topic, I think that, in fact, we're not necessarily born, you know, with ethics or morality. I think that it's, you know, a, a great deal of it is acquired. Some part of it, frankly, you know, has to do with skills. And right. one of the people I interviewed, you know, here in the UK is this brilliant neuroscientist who um, is not passing judgment. She's not saying that this is a generation that is more or less moral, but she has underscored the fact that, you know, your brain is constantly evolving as a human being. And in fact, the frontal lobes, which are the, you know, the part of the brain that puts things in perspective, that frames things in, you know, you know, whatever you wish to call it, allows you to be empathetic, that that is, that is constantly evolving. And it's, but it but it is less likely to evolve and develop um, those skills if you are in front of a screen. In other words, you know th- those skills come into play when you have a, a, an interaction with someone face to face. You can uh, observe you know facial gestures. You can hear the intonation of voice, yeah. and you're more likely to behave moderately in that exchange, unless you know it's just a knockdown, drag out fight. But, you know, it's now the average time spent in front of a screen now is nine hours. And so my son, who's in his late 20s, grew up with a computer, but he did not grow up with social media. So even he in his late 20s is different from somebody in in their early 20s who, in fact, have grown up with curating uh, their Facebook um, page, you know, working Instagram and Twitter. And so, uh, you know, that that that's a demarcation that's fairly obvious. And that has to do with um, te- technological changes that, by the way, are not going to retreat. In other words, this is the deal. We're joined uh, by Eden Collinsworth, who is the author of the book Behaving Badly, The New Morality in Politics, Sex, and Business. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you'd like, send us a uh, comment via Twitter, and we'll bring it up on the show, either at bizradio111, B-I-Z radio 111, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at danloney21. Uh, I wanted to uh, get into the the arena of politics for a second because I'm what we're seeing right now politically in this country and in other element other areas around the world really to me does challenge the thought that morals and politics can can work together and and I know that's kind of a broad brush to, to throw that because it's not every politician out there but boy does it feel like a majority of them right now really have have lost their way in terms of their morals right now well um i would agree um but i think frankly like anything it comes it comes from the top and the fact remains that um in america there is a president who has no qualms about uh, you know, dare I say, lying. Um, and so, you know, the word lie conveys not only a factual judgment, but also yeah. a moral one. And so if you, I've come from a media background, so what, what is the obligation of a free press? And I've also lived in countries where there is not a free press, um, China specifically. And so I am incredibly grateful as an American uh, for a free press, which I believe holds democracy in China. Check. 
Um, but so what is the obligation uh, um, in that regard? Is it to trust the public's judgment or is it to present judgments to them? Right. Um, as far as I'm concerned, a lie is a lie is a lie. Right. And if and we normalize it by not calling them out. But, you know, we also are living in a society now um, that is far more comfortable believing something um, because it's the opposite of what somebody else believes. And so I'm afraid um, we're going to have to do a little more heavy lifting. And I don't know whether, you know, Americans have the appetite for that. Well, um, and, and, it's, and, I, and it's almost an expectation that you're going to have lies coming at mm -hmm. you. And it's, you know, it's not, which is different than if you go back 30, 40 years where you, you have an assumption of truth coming your way. And if mm -hmm. a lie, you're shocked by it. Now it's not as necessarily shocked by the lie. And in, I guess in some cases, surprised when you get the truth. That's true. But my truth might be different than yours true. because I'm yeah. entrenched in certain beliefs. Now, I, I mean, this is what this is what I assumed was a political trend, and I, and I must say that I'm incredibly relieved to see what's happened in France, uh, not because I necessarily agree with the policies, but, right. you know, Macron, the new president, has come out of nowhere in, in a little over a year, um, and he has now won a majority um, in parliament. Uh, Fifty percent of the parliamentarians have not had any experience in politics. And so he is completely determined to build a, a populist movement, so to speak, from the center rather than the extremes. And that that I'm hoping is, you know, a very positive sign of of what might come and, and what might be embraced uh, not only in America, but also the U.K. and um you know, other countries that have become so polarized. I mean, you, you can't open your mouth without being accused of any number of things. Um, and it's it's far more emotional than it is mm. rational. You also take uh, some time in the book and, and look at Hollywood as well. Uh, specifically, a, a conversation you had with with an Alison Jackson surrounding the the world that is the Kardashians these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty weird. <laughs> oh, I, I, that might—that's I, I an understatement. Yes. Yeah, but you know what? I'm—I'm I'm not of that generation. But right. I think that what one has to remember is that these are extremely shrewd business decisions, yeah. and so Kim Kardashian is um, is is memorializing in every conceivable sense on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, newsletters. Uh, traditional media, the most, um, frankly, mundane aspect of her life on a day-to-day -day basis, but she's charging for it. Right. And, and in, a, in a larger sense, we should remember as well that, you know, there are a very few tech companies. You know, you think of the Internet as this kind of, I don't know what, rather ephemeral um you know, atmospheric opportunity to create communities and, and outreach and, and gather information. And it is all of those things. But it's important to remember that it's also, frankly, owned by, by, by a, a few extremely wealthy, uh, lucrative tech companies. Hmm. Um, and these are businesses. These are publicly owned companies and they're first and foremost 
obligation is a return on an investment. Now they're being held to account to some degree, um, and they finally have admitted that they are more than simply content providers, and so they should become responsible to a degree uh, for patrolling or, or more to the point, um, you know, uh, curtailing um, some some content that's very incendiary. But the, the point is that all of these are, you know, these are money-making ventures. We're joined by Eden Collinsworth, uh, the author of Behaving Badly, The New Morality in Politics, Sex, and Business. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Again, if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, the, the world around Kim Kardashian revolves, as you said, around a lot of social media. And you mentioned the, the influence uh, of your son. Uh, of of the world, uh, you know, that he has grown up with social media. And, and obviously, when you think about social media in general, it does provide a lot of information, but it mm-hmm. does have a, a, an unbelievable impact. And a lot of times, sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. And, and, and just, I'm going to get your thoughts on what social media means to this discussion of morality right now. Well, I mean, if you if you look at it, you know, just from a logistical perspective, and you are, you know, you focus in on something like Twitter, and this loops back to the issue of, you know, your one's ability then to interact with people. Um, that Twitter is basically is reduced a communication to so many characters, so yeah. it's not doesn't there is no room for any um, subtlety. But most to the point. Um, it's very direct, and and so what what you see on Twitter, but also on Facebook, is a is is often a, an angry response um, that ratchets up very quickly, and so uh, you know I think that that's part of this uh, overall concern that you know what what is happening is that there is a diminution or you know a, a lesser. Um, the, the, a lesser opportunity to to build, you know, the 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 the, the skill set to deal with people, and you know, we are social animals, right. and so um, just something as simple as communicating now has become fraught not only with our with our polarized ideas and policies and politics, but also um, it's exacerbated by the way we communicate now. I mean, if you look at the use of phone, I I think that I read someplace that uh, within a relatively short period of time, I think in less than five years, that um, most people will be using their phones not to make phone calls, but for text messages and internet connections. So even even with the phone now, it's, you know, you, you, you just assume text rather than actually hear somebody's voice. And so, uh, you know, it, it just is becoming, a, I think, a more um, stilted way of dealing with other people. But uh, as I said, you know, uh, several minutes ago, I don't think that it's going to change. I think that's the trend. And, um, you know, so I think we have to learn to, to live with it and, and, and perhaps put it in perspective. You also uh, get into the military a little bit. You had a conversation with a major general from the Air Force uh, mm-hmm. about uh, about a variety of elements that they have to deal with uh, regarding yeah. this issue surrounding morality. Yes. Well, that was really very interesting for me and quite compelling. I spoke to um, 
a, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Michael Mosley, Buzz Mosley, who under two presidents was um, uh, overseen in charge of the uh, Air Force. Right. And we spoke of drone war- uh, warfare because the, there, that, it falls very quickly into two camps, ethical camps. One feels that it's immoral and unethical to, to kill um, because, you know, to a degree, it, a lot, it has to do with the ease by which you kill and the fact that, you know, you're, you're basically killing somebody from a bunker, um, you know, outside of Las Vegas. Or something. Right. Yeah. And, and you follow yeah. this person around. I mean, there's this rather weird intimacy where you're tracking this person and uh, knowing their habits and their the dailiness of their lives in order to isolate a um, a moment where you can murder them. In effect, um, uh, the other side of the argument is um, that in fact it is a more moral way um, of dealing with warfare. And what what General Mosley reminded me of was the purpose of war. Um, and that, that is why he feels very strongly that you, you, there's nothing casual about um, going into uh, you know, making the decision to put boots on the ground or, or, sure. or you know, move into a military posture. And he told me very directly that the purpose of war is to kill people and destroy property. Um, and he felt that um, with drone warfare, in fact, you know, finally, technology has allowed warfare, most especially from the air, to become more moral because there, even though admittedly there is what is called collateral damage, there is far less collateral damage, you know, uh, when, when you're focused on one, an individual uh, rather than, you know, whatever the alternative is. And uh, obviously there, there's been a long history of warfare from the air, including carpet bombing and so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, that was it was interesting to uh, to hear that perspective. Um, And I don't know. I mean, these are issues that uh, one grapples with, especially now, because the question that I have and unanswered, by the way, is, you know, when do you begin to forfeit your own moral values, whether you call them Western values, when you acknowledging the fact that the enemy you're fighting doesn't share your values. Right. So, you know, I, I'm now in London and I, I've lived in London for the last several years and the last two months has been fairly gruesome. And, sure, um, yeah. you know, it's a situation where, you know, the goal is to kill as many innocent civilians as possible, usually in a vulnerable situation, often when they're women and children. And so when do you begin to forfeit your morals? I I don't, I mean, I, uh, fortunately, I've not seen that happen. Uh, There are, you know, there, there are hate crimes on the rise. But, um, you know, what, what I do see, not surprisingly, is the trend towards a, a willingness to forfeit uh, civil liberties for security. So now in the UK and, and possibly elsewhere, um, the government will take a more aggressive um, uh, position and attitude towards monitoring, um, you know, your own personal, one's own personal um, communication online and, and you know, uh, on, on, on phones. And that is definitely, I've seen this in China, when which is a very highly sophisticated censored culture. Right. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I'm not really 
an enthusiastic, uh, an enthusi- <laughs> I'm not at all enthusiastic about that, uh, you know, that f- philosophy or that way of being. But I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, uh, here in the UK, there, I think the government is just at its wit's end. It's been very stalwart, but it's it's now its threshold of tolerance is really it's diminished considerably. Well, you also uh, talk towards the end of the book, and and I think this is a great way to to finish up is uh, about life and what what life is. You talk about birth and and how that has changed uh, specifically, and the moral questions surrounding that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the, the the potential of what we are seeing uh, of genetically you know, changing beings, moving forward, uh, you know, the government's end in that. I mean, that is such a, a moral question. And, you know, I come from the birth side of things uh, of having three kids that were, you know, brought into this world through IVF. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I strongly support that as a, uh, you know, as a way for birth of, you know, if parents are, are struggling. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, tell us a little bit more about, about that section of the book and, and, and how you deal with the, with those moral questions that a lot of people are dealing with each and every hour that, that they're on this planet. Yes, that's true. And, you know, again, everything is relative. So here in the U.K., it is against the law to to deliberately maneuver, you know, uh, your, you know, the process to, to, to choose a gender. In other words, that you, 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 that's where they draw the line. However, a, a three person pregnancy, so to speak, is legal. So right. they are now introduced. So that is illegal in America. But what is legal in America is choosing a gender. And so those people in the UK who can afford it, fly to, I think there's a doctor in Chicago, and he will perform that, um, you know, that procedure. Um, And it's true in China. It's against the law as a single woman to freeze your eggs. Those people and women in China who could afford it fly to California, and they do just that. Um, And so, you know, it's a lot of it has to do with, uh, for right or wrong, um, the, you know, your financial wherewithal. But, you know, it's difficult to know where the line is drawn. I mean, you, right. you, you, you know, and I don't want to get personal, but you, you know, you, you volunteered that you support um, a certain procedure. Yep. And, but would you then support the choice of a gender? I, I you know, it, it's very, very personal. Correct. And so yep. the question becomes, you know, when does, when is it, when does it, uh, it when is it modified? When is it, con- you know, to what degree is it controlled? by a, you know, a legal system or a government. And I think that that, you know, the the one thing that became extremely apparent to me, regardless of whether or not it has to do with um, reproductive rights, regardless of whether it has to do with warfare, uh, it doesn't matter what, what, what arena, technology will continue to hurl ahead as yep. we argue both sides of the uh, of the equation, and and what is um, slightly concerning is that we're we we're, we're you know one or two musical bars behind the you know th- that fact. In other Correct. words, we're not keeping up. Yep. That di- dialogue is not you know is not transpiring. What what's what's hurling us ahead are these profound changes in technology and, and you see it everywhere and and is that the biggest problem you see going forward is that we are playing catch up on a lot of these issues 
Uh, yes, and I think that, frankly, the big problem is that we are we are right now, uh, as human beings, thinking very short term. And so, um, and you see this everywhere. And uh, uh, politics now, modern politics, encourages that. I mean, we're in America. I think that you know everybody's watching and waiting, and and uh, in terms of what will happen next week or the, but we don't. We're not looking ahead, and 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 I think we're really going to be caught, um, you know, sh- short-sighted, so to speak. And the the fact is that the the, the one thing that I do want to say from a personal perspective, because I've lived in so many different countries, is that regardless of what the politicians promise, we are an incredibly interconnected world right now. And our future is will be imagined by any number of people who don't share our perspective, including our moral perspective. And I think it's really important to accept that and work with that, to find a way of working with that. And that will require us to decide what of our moral values we are willing to defend and what we are willing to, to some degree, to modify or, or relinquish. Great conversation. Thank you, Eden, for your time. I greatly appreciate it and enjoy your day. Yes, you too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. The book is Behaving Badly, The New Morality in Politics, Sex, and Business. The author is Eden Collinsworth. It is available in bookstores and online right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.